Hi everyone, my name's Christian Smith. I'm our Director of Pastoral Ministries here at TLCC, and it's wonderful to be with you today, yeah, even though virtually here with you today. I hope and pray that you're all well, that you're safe, that you're healthy, and that you're receiving in some way soul rest during this difficult time. I'm excited to be able to share with you as a part of our Soul Rest series, where we're talking about how to thrive in restless times. Pastor Terry, our lead pastor, has led us through this topic as we've discussed how to receive rest in our souls. And soul is kind of a weird word in our world today. We often think of it as this kind of weird spiritual orb within us, uh, but soul throughout scripture doesn't indicate some spiritual, aphysical entity within us. It's kind of wispy and floats around, but it indicates actually a unity of self, a unity of self. It represents our entire person, who we are both physically and spiritually. When we receive rest, soul rest from God, it's this holistic rest offered to us. We've talked about Hebrews 4, which is all about entering into God's rest. God says that his rest is available for us, which is wild to think about today. It's available for us. And that we are to make every effort to enter into that rest. Now, rest can mean a lot of things. It can be experiencing rest in your work. It can be relief from anxiety. It can be released from boredom and much more. Today, I'll talk about it in the sense of our rest time, or if you will, like our free time, our leisure time, our time away from obligations and responsibilities, and what kind of rest God wants to offer you with that time. Now, most of us, or many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, don't have as many times of fulfilling rest and leisure as you would like especially in our New York City metropolitan living, the speed and pace of life and work and family. It's always increasing. Perhaps you're now burdened even with new worries of caring for yourself or your family during our current crisis. Nonetheless, many of us can identify with the feeling of not feeling caught up on our rest. Even when we have time to rest and it's a weekend or it's your day off, Monday comes around extremely quickly. Even when you have a night off, it feels like your alarm clock blares the next morning before it looked like you could even take a breath and catch some rest. Even though we try to take some time for rest for our souls, it feels like our soul is kind of outpaced by our lives and we can never truly catch up. We're looking for our next vacation or our next day off to be what replenishes us, but we find ourselves falling back into similar cycles, vexed by our busyness. And if you identify with this, send hearts up in the chat or something so that you can see all the people who might feel this along with you in their lives. I know I can frequently feel like this in my life. Now, I think that we often chalk this restlessness feeling up to not having enough time in our lives for rest. Someone says, you know, why not take a break or take some time off? And we sigh and we say that it's because, you know, we, we think about how much work we're going to have to do in order to carve some time out for rest. And rest really just becomes another thing 
that we have to plug into our already busy schedule, if you will. My wife frequently tells me to take a day off or to take a break, but I almost, without a doubt, always say, I don't have time, or I have too much to do, or I make some sort of excuse along those lines. We think, or at least I think, and I think that a lot of us think, that we just don't have enough time to rest. Let's be real. I believe a lot of us truly don't have enough time to rest. Americans work more now than most people in the world. Work hours are frequently going up. Responsibilities are going up. I think it's really possible that we do have a legit time issue. However, what if I said that it was more than just a time issue? What if it's not just about how much time we have, but about how we spend the time that we do have? What if it's about more than the time that we do or don't have, but it's about how we spend the time that we do have? First of all, in reality, I think that most of us have more time and more time to rest than we actually think that we have. For instance, if you look up stats on how many hours a day Americans watch television, the data ranges anywhere from an average estimation per person of three and a half to five and a half hours a day. Three and a half to five and a half hours a day. I'm smirking and kind of like a guilty, I'm worried even to read this and how I might feel convicted by some of this sort of stuff. Now, three and a half, five and a half hours a day. If we take the lowest estimation there, let's just say it's three and a half hours a day per person, and we calculate how many hours that is a year watching television, that is about 1,300 hours a year, or over 53 days a year, 53 whole days a year, 24 hours straight, spent in front of the television. Or, let's say if you do that, ages 15 through 75, 60 years, that is almost nine years of our lives watching television, almost a decade of our lives. Imagine if someone were to gift you this year 53 days of time off or told you that you could have 10 more years added on your retirement for leisure or rest, our jaws would likely drop. We would perceive our work lives as being you know, much easier, much different. We would perceive that we would be much more rested. And by the way, there are a lot of other things that we spend time on. For instance, we spend about an hour and 15 minutes a day on social media, which means upward of 15 days a year just scrolling through social media platforms. There are all kinds of things we do. And by the way, this really affects all ages. Uh, television is actually consumed more uh, by middle-aged populations than youth. Um, and social, a lot of social media platforms are actually consumed more by middle-aged populations than youth. And with the youth, for instance, just as one example, male teens uh, average 10,000 hours of video game playing by the time that they're 21. In that amount of time, they could have gotten a bachelor's degree and a master's degree by the time they're 21. Does anyone feel convicted yet? I know I do, and this applies to different things that I've faced in my life. So what we see here in the limited scope of just looking at TV consumption, social media consumption, video game entertainment, uh, you can assess the things that you do, that you spend your time on throughout your lives and in your kind of leisure time, if you will, is that we probably have more time than we actually think. 
but something about how we spend our time causes us to feel like we have no time, especially no time to rest. And by the way, none of this is intended to guilt, but to kind of like raise our eyebrows at opportunity that we might have in our lives of opening up our schedules and time and the ability to engage God in rest. I'd like to propose that what we spend a good deal of our time doing, what feels like steals our time away and steals our rest away from us is our practice of escapism. Our practice of escapism. Escapism is avoiding unpleasantness or boredom through distracting things. Avoiding unpleasantness in our lives or boredom through distracting things. In escapism, we spend our time, typically our free time, inundating ourselves with things that take us out of reality. If we're escaping, typically our realities are one of two things. First of all, either our lives are like boring and we want to do something fantastical, so we escape to impossible or unreal places in our minds and in our lives. Or our lives are so hurried, perhaps even filled with difficulty and struggle and anxiety or depression or something like that, that we want to escape reality and live in some kind of alternate universe. And this is frequently how we can spend our leisure or free time. As Pastor John Mark Comer says, that one of the symptoms of, of kind of a hurry sickness of our age is escapist behaviors. He says, when we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, when we're too tired to do what's life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Some narcotics are good, healthy even, on an occasional short-term basis when they shield us from unnecessary pain. Many things that aren't bad, that, that give us a shielding from pain, can be good for us. But when we use them and abuse them to escape reality, they eat us alive. You find yourself stuck in the negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions. Again, note here that some forms of entertainment uh, in moderation and at the right times can be good, healthy even. You know, maybe there's a day of binge watching Netflix that is healthy for you in that moment or a moderation of what it means to engage in certain forms of entertainment or good food so that you can put your mind on something different. But we'll get to all that kind of stuff. But I think that we have to come back to, to realize is how are we spending our time and are we using mediums to escape and avoid the realities of our lives. Ultimately, in escapism, our lives are simply too much for us to handle or parts of our lives are too much for us to handle. And I know I've experienced this in my life. I'll be the first person to raise my hand to this. The stress of work, the stress of relationships, the stress of the future, or even the stress of the past, or perhaps the boring nature of your life in certain moments, these can cause a desire to close your eyes to the blinding pain or anxiety induced by the realities of life. And instead we wish to retreat to a book that has fantastical stories or movies or TV shows of unbelievable looking characters with unbelievable personalities, unbelievable lives, unbelievable skills, so we can escape to kind of their world or we do things like scroll through our phones distracted by bright lights, images, dopamine hits of likes. 
I think a lot of us can fall into different categories and just kind of be like, here's something that I might do. In truth, this, this kind of escapism can be a very real thing for me. <clears throat> I actually feel like a hypocrite right now, and I'm kind of preaching to myself, really, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't spend that much time on TV. I don't spend that much time on social media. I have time limits on my phone, so I don't do that. Uh, but the time when I practice the most escapism, actually, in my life is weeks that I have to prepare and write for sermons like the very one I'm giving you. I get anxious about whether or not I'll have the right words or the right ideas, and I generally experience kind of a natural procrastination or escapism instinct when I have to do like really, really important work. And so this week I brewed like French press coffee four times a day, rationalizing that the last brew had gotten cold, so I need to spend time cleaning out the French press, grinding new coffee, and I'll waste half an hour preparing my new batch of coffee. I have not cleaned the kitchen more probably in my life than I have this week. And I take an hour slowly cleaning the dishes to avoid actually having to do the difficult things and what would produce anxiety within me and I would escape. In fact, I was reading some of uh, this message, kind of the first half up until here to my wife this week and she was like, she was vibing with it. And she said, uh, she was like, oh, I'm really excited to hear the solution. Like we both felt positively convicted by some of what I was talking about. She was like, I'm excited to hear the solution. And to be honest, I stopped and I was like, yes, I'm excited to hear it and discover it in scripture as well. And I stopped again and I said, honestly, I'm actually practicing escapism by reading the message to you right now because I would rather spend time kind of wasting it reading to you than actually having to sit down in my desk and continue to write. And the conundrum continues and continues. And then the reality is I've wasted most of my day doing things that I rationalized as being important in that time or I need to rest or I need to get my mind in the right spot and I've escaped into things like coffee making or I could escape into whatever the activity would be and then I come to the nighttime when I'm supposed to have my time off but I don't have time off and I then rationalize that I've been so busy the whole day working that I don't have time to actually spend time resting when in reality if I had not escaped then I would have had time to engage and rest. I think you get the point. I think most of us can identify in some way with this escapist instinct and experience. See, through this escapism, we can provide momentary distancing from the realities of life. But a habit of continual disengagement can, can deprive us of the time which allows us to experience soul rest. When we retreat into escapism, we do not fill up our souls, but we avoid our souls altogether. And therefore, we can't receive soul rest. Remember, our souls are who we are. It's a representation of our entire person. And when we can't deal with our souls, with our person, it's as if we're avoiding it and not directly engaging it or getting rest from it. Psychologists, in fact, say that escapism leads to dissociation, meaning you distance yourself from your very own identity, your sense of self, or we could say your soul. So if we spend a lot of our time uh, escaping, then the time in which we're typically trying to get rest, we're actually avoiding the mess of life. And we can just experience a loop of dissociation, distancing ourselves from our lives and not actually engaging our souls in the rest 
that God has for us. The issues with all of this is that our souls are not meant to rest through escaping life, but to rest through engaging God in our life. Our souls do not receive rest by escaping life, but engaging God in our life. When rest is talked about in scripture, it's never about leaving or abandoning work or abandoning life, but it's actually about turning to God, engaging him in our lives and what we are doing, engaging him in everything that we're doing. Let's look at a brief overview of four scriptures that talk about rest and the renewal that God has for us. We see in Matthew, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In order to receive the rest God has, we turn to him, we engage him, and we take his yoke upon us. Rest is not just getting stuff off of us or obligations, responsibilities away from us and leaving those. It's taking on what Christ has for us. It's an engagement of God. Or in Philippians, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And, by the, and, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When there's this anxiousness about anything, what are you to, to do? You're to present the request to God. You go to God when you're restless. You don't turn away from life. Or in Jeremiah, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. It's God who is providing the refreshing. Therefore, we have to engage God if we are weary and tired. And last of all, Acts, repent then and turn to God. And repentance is a turning, kind of a 180, so that your sins, things that aren't in alignment with how God wants things to be, may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We turn to God we engage him, we turn away from everything that is not engaging God so that God can give us rest. So what we see is that in all of these ways that we can receive rest, refreshment from God, we have to be engaging God and not retreating from God in the things he has for us. As St. Augustine famously said, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in God. There's an activity of going into God, of engaging him. See, our souls have a desire for the infinite, meaning our desires never end. We never seem to be truly satisfied. When we're restless, we may think that escaping, filling ourselves with some distracting thing is what will actually bring us comfort. But as we know, we typically then need more and more of that thing to continue to distract us, and then we are never fully satisfied. We need one more episode, we need some more food, we need something more to drink, we need some other thing to distract us, and we never feel that quiet, fulfilled sense of satisfaction. Therefore, these finite things of the world cannot bring us the rest that we need because we have infinite desire. As the great Christian philosopher Dallas Willard said, Desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. I love that. We're made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs, but are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains. The desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. 
It's only God that can satisfy us. Anything else we seek other than God, the things he has for us, anything, anything other than what God has for us, when we fill ourselves with those things, it's like a finite drop in a bucket of infinite desire. Therefore, we must welcome the holder of infinity into our lives and engage him where we are restless and where we need rest so that he can provide the rest and meaning and purpose for us. He's the only one who can fulfill these infinite desires, even our desire for rest. So what does it look like to engage God and rest? I think this is a very hard question and because it can look so many different ways. It will always be relative to you and your life, your situation, your desires, your joys. What brings me rest will not necessarily bring you rest. And there's no list in scripture of the five things you can do in your leisure time and how long you can spend on each of them, sadly enough. Uh, but each of us are made uniquely. We will therefore rest uniquely. But I do think that there are tips and principles that we can abide by in order to rest from escaping and thrive in engaging God in our times of rest. And so here are just three tips to doing this. And the first is to evaluate and confront what we are escaping. Evaluate and confront what we are escaping. Psalm 139 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I encourage you as a first step in this process to receive the rest of God is to assess whether or not, first of all, we are practicing escapism. And if so, what are you escaping from? Ask God, as the scripture says, to reveal your anxious thoughts, to, to, to know the anxious thoughts that you are having so that he can lead you out of them so that you can engage in life rather than have a constant need to escape life. Look, I know that there are times in my life where I am afraid or unmade uncomfortable by quietness because sometimes the skeletons of life or of unfulfillment or of all the things that I have to do or certain pressures I'm facing in my life rear their, rear their heads in my time of quietness. And so I'm constantly uh, pressured by myself to bring noise into my life to help me to escape that. God doesn't call us to, to coexist with that kind of restlessness. God calls us to deal with the restlessness. Even more so, God wants to deal with the restlessness with and for us. He wants to give us a peace that surpasses all understanding, a shalom, a harmony of life. That doesn't mean that there won't be suffering, that there won't be difficulty, that there won't be anxieties that pop up. But as Kierkegaard the Danish philosopher says, real joys fall on the far side of suffering. We have to make it through the murk and the mire of the difficulties of life by God's grace and confront whatever it is that we might be running from in order to be able to stop running and to take a breath, let our hearts settle and to rest in God. Only once we confront what we're running from will we be able to stop running. I love the serenity prayer 
that's recited by AA and other groups, which says, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can change, and the wisdom to know the difference. When we stop to realize what we're escaping, then we can address whatever it is we're escaping. We can see if we can change it, or we can know that the thing just is what it is and ask God to give us peace and rest. And as the psalm says, we don't only need to ask God to search our anxious thoughts, but to search if there is something offensive in us. We may be trying to escape from our own sin, our own disobedience or missing the mark that we feel a deep guilt of, and we want to paste over it with activities and leisures in our life. We may need God to highlight that thing for us and to tell us that I have rest for you from that sin, from that offensive thing. He's saying to you, I want to make you whole in a loving way that this is something that we can change together. And once we begin this difficult but very important process, then I think we can stop running from things in our lives or things in the world, and we can begin to run to God or more so to be able to walk and rest with him. Second, I think that we can evaluate what we should engage in in order to bring rest. I think a really good scripture that I reflect on a lot for this is found in Colossians 3. This is kind of a synopsis cutting through some of it, where it reads, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So just as Christ has been raised from the dead into new life, glorified life, so we have been raised with him when we put our trust in him. We've received his risen spirit and set our minds, our hearts on the things above where Christ is in heaven, the throne room, the leadership of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Earthly doesn't mean like things in the world, physical things. It means things that uh, elicit a desire of, of mortality opposed to the immortality of God, of things that are missing the mark that are not of God. That's what that means. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In whatever we do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How I think we can often think about this is that, yes, we give our time to God or we invite God into our time of kind of uh, uh, obligations of church or moral development or even families if we want to lead our families well. Maybe even into our work, we want to have purpose. We want to do something that's honoring to God. So we invite him into that percentage of time in our lives. But when we have our free time, it is our time. It's something that, you know, well, I now deserve this time. We have to remember that all of our time is God's time. I love Ephesians 5, which says that we have to make the most of every opportunity or we have to redeem the time. Remember, all of our time, including our free time, is God's time. Everything that we have is his 
And so sometimes we can develop a mental habit that says, this is my time, therefore I can do with that what I wish. But we also have to realize that as Colossians says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Many things that at least society has as habits of rest can put our minds on the earthly things, things that develop greed, evil, lust, etc. Especially with our entertainment culture today, there are so many times I could start watching something and I find myself rooting, for instance, for like a villain, someone who's doing something bad or for someone to get into a romantic relationship because of the way that they craft the music and the way that they craft the story and the writing and the shot selection. And it makes me begin to root for things or to put my mind and my heart on things below. Remember, we can become open and susceptible when we escape we often give away our minds and we open ourselves up to whatever we want to receive because we want to put off and we don't want uh, uh, any sense of obligation or work. When in reality, God is always calling us to be discerning and to engage things. Remember, whatever we feed will grow. Whatever we feed will grow. But God has called us to put to death the things that are below, the things in the world. So we cannot just continue in our free time, just because it's free time and we get to decide some of what we do with it, that God still wants to be a part of that thing, wants to join us in that thing, we have to give all of those things to him. Uh, one example from my life uh, that's been really helpful and has transformed a lot of my life is I love movies. I love movies. But at some point, I got kind of tired of, um, vexed by, and convicted by watching a lot of movies that I felt like was putting my mind on things below. And I think you know what I mean. And so I ended up spending time uh, studying and watching and kind of learning the language of higher echelons of film in the cinema world that were full of more meaning and depth and engaged my, my heart and my mind in things above and the depths of life. So that now in my leisure time, I put a little bit of work in on the front end to be able to engage some movies that were a little bit more difficult so that I can, I can be filled up in my soul. That is a soul-filling thing. Or reading certain kinds of literature can be a soul-filling thing for me. And so I spent time saying, how do I, this is something I enjoy, God. How can you put my mind on the above side of this thing, the thing above where you are? It's practical ways that we can, we can shape our free time, our joys to invite God into it. So I think we must figure out what we enjoy, test those things according to God's values, make sure they're putting our mind on things above so you can enjoy that thing with God. And then third and last of all is to ask God to join and lead you in your rest. God wants to be with you. He wants to lead you into green pastures. And as we already seen, he's the only one who can. He wants to guide you into ultimate fulfillment. What would it look like after a day of work or at the beginning of an off day or at the beginning of a vacation to say, God, what kind of rest do you have for me in this time? Do you have a walk around my neighborhood? Do you have a good book? Do you have a good movie? Is it prayer time? Do you have a TV show for me or something like that? Now, we may automatically, when we think of this, feel guilted into praying and it then makes us not want to ask God or we feel like we have to read scripture so we don't want to ask God because we want to do something else. But rest with God is not 
availed time of guilting you into productivity or spiritual things. God wants us to enjoy life and this world. More so, God wants to enjoy it with us. He wants to utilize the desires that you uniquely have and fill them with his presence. God wants to give you a productive time of unproductivity, if you will. There's a slot for that in our life with him. God wants to give you immeasurably satisfying rest that fits who you are, where you are in your life, what you enjoy. And I believe that we have the time. We just have to give our time and our rest to him. So I think we can confront whatever we're escaping from and stop running by the grace of God. We can evaluate what brings us joy and begin to use that thing in a way that's honoring to God where we can feel comfortable inviting him into that thing with us. And then third of all, we can ask God to join and lead us in our times of unproductivity, if you will. Let's begin to run to God and to the life that he has for us in every aspect of our lives because it is a better life than we ever, ever dreamed of. And that's my prayer for all of us today. I'm so happy that you've joined us, so happy to be able to have the opportunity to spend this time with you. And now I'm gonna kick it back to Pastor Terry to close us out.